are continuing in our series called The Death of Shame. We're in week three. And uh, just a couple of announcements that to remind you that this afternoon at three o'clock, we will have our church picnic out here on the lawn. We invite you to bring a chair um, of some kind. Uh, you may want to bring a tent uh, because it's going to be a little toasty. We have a few tents that we'll throw up out there as well. And so you can enjoy that. And we look forward to time together. I've heard that the teenagers have challenged any adults that are willing to a game of kickball. So if y'all really want to get beat that bad, we're more than welcome to take you on. So uh, bring your tennis shoes with you, and uh, we look forward to having fun, fun uh, together this afternoon. Um, our text today comes from John chapter 21. This is the story of the Apostle Peter. After the resurrection, he connects with the Lord Jesus, and Peter's feeling disgrace. Peter's feeling a lot of shame because of what he had done. We'll take a look at that here in a minute. Uh, but Jesus comes and he reveals himself to Peter in an effort to restore Peter back. Um, and so let's, uh, let's turn over in our scriptures to John chapter 21. I'm going to ask for you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. John chapter 21, we'll re be reading verses 1 through 7. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Let's read together. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast out the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. You may be seated. Okay, let's walk through these verses together and we'll get to the nuts and bolts of what's happening in Peter's mind as well as what Jesus comes to bring, uh, the good news he brings to Peter. Let's begin at verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Tiberias is just another name that they used back in Jesus' day for the Sea of Galilee. And so they're, they're at the Sea of Galilee. Verse 2, it says, Simon, Peter, Thomas, these are the people who were with Simon, Thomas, another of the disciples, Nathaniel, another of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were there together. Verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, hey, I'm going to go fishing. Does anybody want to come with me? And so the other disciples were like, sure, we'd be happy to go with you. And so they jump in the boat with Peter. We learn here that after Jesus' resurrection, um, so the resurrection's happened. Jesus appeared to the 12 disciples, our 11 disciples, Thomas no longer. Um, he appears to them. And so they know that Jesus has risen from the dead. But then all of a sudden we learn here that they go back to fishing. You say, Gordon, what in the world would Peter be doing going back to fishing? Why would he not? I thought Jesus had called him to be an apostle. I thought Jesus had called him to be an evangelist. What's he doing going back to fishing? Well, if you remember, um, Peter in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 75 had denied the Lord Jesus. Remember what he's, he's, Jesus, it says, verse 75, it says, And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows, You, Peter, will deny me three, three times. And then Peter went outside and wept bitterly. So Peter had denied the Lord Jesus in Jesus' most desperate hour. And so what we learn here is that Jesus is that Peter felt disgraced. 
He felt disqualified to go forward being an apostle. He felt disqualified to go forward being an evangelist. He felt disqualified from whatever ministry it was that he thought he was a part of before. Now he feels like he's just chump change. He feels like he can't be a a participant in that at all. Back to verse 3. It says, so the disciples went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Think about this. Peter spent his whole life as a fisherman, and he goes out and he catches nothing. I mean, he's even a failure at fishing, right? So he messed up with the Lord, and now he goes back to fishing, and he's a complete failure at fishing as well. And so he's poor Peter, poor guy. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5, and so Jesus called out to them, children, do you have any fish? They replied, no, actually, we don't. we've had a really rough night. Didn't catch anything. No, uh, we don't have any fish. So Jesus hollers out to them. Remember, they don't know that it's Jesus. He's a little too far away from the shoreline. They can't see him, can't make out who it was. And he yells out to them, hey, throw the nets over the other side of the boat. <clears throat> Verse 6, and uh, you'll find some. And so they did it, and now they were not able to haul the in all the fish because of the great quantity. Verse 7, then the disciple that Jesus loved, this is the apostle John, um, it says to Peter, it is the Lord. You say, Gordon. Um, how did John know that it was Jesus? Remember, they, they couldn't see him from the shoreline. He was a little bit too far away. Maybe it was dusk. I'm not sure what this door, the story was there. But in any case, they didn't recognize that it was the Lord Jesus. Well, if you remember, they had experienced this miracle before, earlier in their, in their, in their um, interactions with Jesus. Luke chapter 5 and verse 3 captures one of those events. It says, Jesus got into one of the boats belonging to Simon Peter, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, from the shore, And then Jesus sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So on this particular occasion, this is way early in Jesus' ministry, three years before this incident with Peter happened. And uh, he's in Peter's boat on this occasion, and he pushes off from shore a little ways, and there's a whole bunch of people gathered there, and Jesus begins to teach those people from the boat. And it says, verse 4, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, Hey, look, let's go fishing. While we put out into the deep water and let down our nets for a catch. Verse 5, Simon Peter said, Master, we've been out here all night at this. Uh, you know, we hadn't caught anything. I told you he was a bad fisherman, right? We hadn't caught anything, and we'd been toiling away. Um, and so we worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll let down our nets. And the next thing they learned, we learned, verse 6, it says, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were bla- breaking. So John, immediately, when they haul in all these fish, and they, he realizes, hold on, this has happened before. I've seen this happen before. Oh, that's Jesus on the shoreline. And so John has a flashback to this event some three years before. Simon Peter has the same flashback to the event three years before. And both of them realize who it is that's standing on the shoreline. And sure enough, it's the Lord Jesus. And so verse 7 says that Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. And so he jumps overboard, right? Um, and he throws himself into the sea and he starts swimming toward the shore. Verse 9, when the rest of the disciples got out, of the, got out, of the, or got out on land with their boat and all their catch of fish, They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And with that, Jesus said to them, verse 12, come and have some breakfast. Now, there's a church that's been built on this site that commemorates this um, interaction between the apostle Peter and the Lord Jesus. Um, And when this miracle happened with the catching of all these fish and Jesus restoring Peter back. And the church is called Mensa Christi. And Mensa Christi literally means table of the Lord. And here's a picture of that church. And that church is set on the north shore of Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. Um, And again, it commemorates the site where the Lord Jesus met with Peter and they had breakfast together, this great great reunion. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Simon said to, or Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me 
more than these? In other words, do you love me more than these other guys that are here? Am I like number one and my first priority for you and your life? Um, and you say, well, Gordon, why would Jesus be wondering something like that? Well, it's because Peter had boasted this exact same thing, that Jesus, you mean more to me than any of these other people, uh, or not, not just some days prior. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33, G- Peter says in front of all these other guys, in front of all these other disciples, um, Peter says, Matthew 26 and verse 33, though all these other disciples of yours, maybe they fall away, because Jesus, we know you're about ready to go into your trial. We know you're about ready to go forward. You're telling us about how you're going to go be crucified. And we don't agree with that, but we know that that's what's going to happen. And we know you're going to be seized. And if all these other guys fall away, if all these other yellow-bellied cowards fall away, one thing you can count on me, Jesus, is that I will never fall away. And Peter says that publicly in front of these other disciples. Peter says that to Jesus' face. Hey, all these other guys... You may not be able to count on them, but one guy who's going to go down with a ship, that's me, Peter. And so Peter, um, <clears throat> so Jesus is saying, hey, look, do you love me? Am I number one and my first priority more than all these other guys? Uh, middle of verse 15, he responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to Peter, well, then feed my lambs. Go back into ministry. Pick back up where we had left off. Verse 16. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter answered, of course, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Verse 17, Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, Peter is hurt. The Bible says that he's grieved. He says, Lord, you know everything. I mean, you're the omniscient God of the universe. You know what's in my head. You know what's in my heart. You know that I don't even have to tell you that I love you. You know it. But because you've asked, I love you. Of course I love you. And so Jesus again says, then feed my sheep. Go back to doing what I called you to do in the first place. Now, again, what in the world is Jesus doing here? Well, he's saying to Peter, Peter, you know that you've blown it. The disciples all know that you blew it. Um, And I hate to tell you this, Peter, but I'm about ready to record, memorialize your having blown it in this book called the Bible for the rest of history, for everybody to know how badly you blew it. Um, But that's not what I came here to tell you today, Peter. What I came here to tell you today is that you're not disqualified. Despite your failure, despite your mistake, despite the hiccup that you made in your life, despite the facts that you blew it, you're not disqualified, Peter. You're not rejected. You know, one of the things that I love about this story is that God came looking for Peter. Peter went back to doing what the only thing he knew how to do, right? Going back to fishing. Um, Peter went back to something that was familiar to him. He went back to just a life that he knew before he had ever met Jesus. And yet, the God of the universe came looking for Peter. It says something about what the God of the universe can do with you and I, even when we blow it. That's a wonderful story, isn't it? It's encouraging. It's good to hear that that's the way the God of the Bible looks at our lives and what he wants to accomplish in and through us. Okay, well, that's our treatment of this text. That's our story for today. And so that means it's time for us to ask our most important question. What difference does all this make to your life and to mine? Um, Really great question. Let's see if we can answer that. Um, Peter has had plenty of reasons here lately leading up to this little breakfast um, encounter to feel ashamed, hasn't he? I mean, you think about, you know, Peter in the upper room, saying in front of the, all the other guys, 
kind of almost putting them down, like I'm better than the rest of y'all. Um, they may blow it. They may turn their back on you. But the one person you can count on, Jesus, it'll be me. I'm ready to have my head chopped off. I'm ready to crawl up on the cross next to you, Jesus. I'm ready to do whatever is required. You can count on me. And yet, literally, just hours later, I don't know him. I told you, I don't know him. I have no idea who you're talking about. Peter has every reason in the world to feel disgraced, to feel ashamed. Um, Now, again, you and I know the rest of the story. Peter's not disqualified from serving the Lord. In fact, he goes on to become the great apostle Peter. He becomes the head of the Christian church. He's even martyred upside down for his faith in Christ. Um, He's a great champion of the Christian faith. Um, But on that occasion, in those days after the resurrection, in that moment, sitting on that shoreline, out there in that boat, and then later sitting on that shoreline, Peter feels disqualified. Peter feels disgraced. And shame, friends, has done that to him. You know, one of the most powerful weapons that Satan has in his arsenal is the weapon of self-condemnation. When we mess up as Christians and we go to God for forgiveness and we admit our mistake and we know that we're forgiven, and yet the guilt of what we've done still hovers over us like an Atlanta smog in a hot July day. Um, And so it it diminishes our self-esteem it can become so debilitating that we just kind of give up on life, that we give up on any service that we hoped to give to the Lord. We give up on the hope of ever feeling joy again. And that's what shame can produce. That's the fruits of shame. And so with the time I have remaining, I want to talk about how do we deal with self-condemnation? How do we deal with low self-esteem that results from these feelings of shame? Because that really, friends, low self-esteem, self-condemnation, these are the fruits of shame How do we deal with that? How do we recover from that? How do we begin to see the potential that still exists within us, that Jesus sees within us? Um, How do we heal from these feelings of low self-esteem? Well, the first thing that we do, i got a couple things here for you. First thing that we do is to see ourselves as a child of God. That is to see ourselves the way God sees us. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says these words, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called what? What are we called? children of God. That's what we're called. That's what the book says you are. It says that you are a child of God. Um, I don't mind saying publicly that I love my three girls. I absolutely love them to death. There is nothing in this world that I would not do for them. There is nothing in this world that Claire or I would not give up for them. We would give our very lives for them. No hesitation, no questions, just lay, ready to lay it all on the table. And furthermore, because they are our children, Claire and I love them unconditionally. We don't love them only when they're performing well, only when they're well-behaved. We don't just love them in those moments and not love them in other moments. Our love for them is not conditional. Our love for them is unconditional. Um, We love them with no conditions because they are our children. That's the way God feels about you. You are his child. He loves you when you're performing well. He loves you when you're not performing well, he loves you unconditionally. <clears throat> you are not God's slave for him to order you around. You are not a toy for God's amusement. You are his precious child. That is his opinion of you. That is what he calls you. 
That is what the book says you are. You are a child of God, and as a child of God, he loves you no matter how well you are performing. His love for you is unconditional. Friends, this reminds me of the Israelites out in the desert. They had left Egypt behind. God had been providing for them now for two years plus in the desert. Um, Food shows up every day on the ground. Water comes out of the rock. All their needs are provided for and taken care of. They're out of slavery. They're out of bondage now. They're a free people on their way to go take a new land, the promised land. And uh, so they send some spies out into this land to go give it a look and see what they think about uh, what they're going to need as far as coming in to overtake this land militarily. And so the spies come back and they have a bad report about the folks that live in that land. Now remember, the Israelites are children of God. The Israelites have been provided for by God. I don't know how God could have demonstrated them any more clearly how much he thinks, what, how well he thinks of them, how much he loves for them. He's providing for them every step of the way. And yet these, these spies come back, they give this report, and here's what they have to say, Numbers chapter 13 and verse 33. Here's how we felt when we were in that land. And there we saw the Nephilim, that's the race of giants, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And then the Israelites begin to repeat this. We're nothing but grasshoppers. We, if we go into that land, we're just grasshoppers. I mean, you want to talk about a, a low self-image, right? A reversal of, of, of self-esteem. They went from feeling like they were people who were children of God, that God's provided for, that God loves unconditionally, to now we feel like we're grasshoppers. And so they had a different sense of who they were. Friends, when we fail to see ourselves, the way our Heavenly Father sees us, it destroys our dreams, it destroys our potential, it parks us on the shoreline of life, frozen and paralyzed, unable to accomplish anything for God, living far beneath the potential that you and I possess. Peter was on that shoreline, and Jesus came to him to restore to him, to say, Peter, all is not undone, all is not disqualified. You are not disgraced. I'm restoring you back into ministry. Peter, go and feed my sheep. Go and do the very thing that I had prepared you and taught you and designed for you to do. Friends, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad it was. And what Peter did, friends, was pretty doggone bad. But it doesn't matter because we are children of God. Again, that's what the book says. Don't ever let shame tell you something different. Number two, second, is to find our self-worth in God, not in people. If we want to heal low self-esteem, we have to find our self-worth in the God whom we serve, not in people. As I was thinking through this issue this week, I asked myself, what it really is a God? You say, well, I mean, he lives in heaven, right? Now, I'm not asking who is, a, who is God. I'm saying, what is a God? Well, like, what function does a God serve? Um, in relation to us as human beings, whether it be Christianity or some other religion in the world. Well, a God is somebody that we worship. A God is somebody that we look to for security. A God is somebody that we look to for help in difficult times, right? You got some bad times financially going on. You got some difficult times physically going on. And so we cry out to God in those moments for help, right? That's, that's a function that God serves. Um, God also gives us our purpose. God gives us our meaning in life. And so we begin to latch on to and find a sense of identity, self-identity from our God. And then I got to thinking, well, you know what? If people are trying to find things like meaning and security in people, 
or in their employment, then that means they've made a God out of those things. If I'm trying to find my significance and my identity and my purpose and my value and my self-worth from friendships, from people, then I've made those people into a God. And I find that I'm striving to gain acceptance and approval from them, then I've made them into a God. If I might have a point of privilege here and brag on my wife just a little bit, she's going to get all red in the face. Y'all look at her, she's getting really red in the face right now. But if I might brag on her for just a little bit, Claire is very different than what I've just described. She does not find her self-worth from anyone in this room. She does not find her self-worth from being the husband of a, or husband. Sometimes it works out that way, doesn't it? <laughs> little truth spoken, the slip of the tongue. Um, she does not find her self-worth from being the, the, the wife of a pastor. I mean, there's, there's some, you know, y'all probably watch TV or you run across some, some gals that they're married to a husband, her husband, who is a pastor. And um, I shouldn't have talked about my wife this morning. That's a problem, right? <clears throat> They're married to a pastor, and they find their whole self-worth, they find their whole self-identity, they find their whole value in the world and being who they're married to, right? My husband's a lawyer, my husband's a doctor, whatever it may be, and so they find their self-worth in that and identifying themselves with the person that they're a spouse to, and Claire is not one of those kind of people. Claire doesn't find her self-worth from friendships with other moms. She doesn't find her self-worth from her work or her career success. She doesn't find her self-worth from the house that we live in. I mean, it'd be easy to walk around and say, hey, look at the nice house that I live in. Therefore, I am somebody of value. She doesn't even find her self-worth from being a mom. Now, she's good at those things. She takes good care of those things, but she doesn't find her identity. She doesn't find her self-worth in those things. Instead, she finds her self-worth from being in a relationship with the God of the Bible. That's how she finds who she is, that's how she knows who she is, and where she finds her unique value in life. And friends, that makes for a healthy human being. It's a wonderful person to be married to that finds their self-worth and their identity in the God whom we serve, not trying to find that from me or from some other external source. Friends, when we place our need for purpose and significance and value on another human person, that is just too heavy of a burden to place on them. People were never designed to be gods. We're lousy gods. People are unpredictable. People are selfish. We love conditionally. I love you if you're performing well for me. I love you if you accomplish these things for me. I love you if you take care of me. We love conditionally. People are lousy gods. So let me ask you, where does your sense of self-worth come from? Ladies, does it come from the man that you're sitting next to? Does it come from your children? That's a terrible burden to put on your kids. For them to have to feel like they have to give you value. Does it come, fellas, from the size of your bank account? Or the corner office that you work out of? A successful business that you run? It's easy, see, it's easy to make gods out of all those other things. God said to Moses, I am the Lord your God. Don't put anybody else in front of me. And friends, that will make for a healthy human being.
third thing is really short. It's just to learn to laugh at yourself. If you want to build up self-esteem, if you're struggling with low self-esteem and you want to heal from that, I mean, we are, we are fallen creatures. I, this is a terrible thing for me to say. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. A couple of weeks ago, apparently the deodorant missed one side of my... <laughs> See? You know. I got in the car that afternoon after church, and my girls are like really red in the face now, right? I can't believe my dad's telling that. Like, Dad, I can't believe that you, you know. It was like, I was like it was a hot day, right? <laughs> See, if you're not here every Sunday, you miss out on these wonderful things, right? You've got to learn to laugh at yourself. And what am I supposed to do with that, right? How do you recover from that? Well, you just don't, you know? We're human beings. We make mistakes. Things happen. And we just need to learn to laugh at ourselves. Um, we need to learn to celebrate, you know, our shortcomings and find them humorous. We just can't be perfect all the time. In fact, we're going to be talking about perfectionism next week. But we just can't be perfect all the time. And so we need to be able to learn to laugh at ourselves. And friends, that'll help heal low self-esteem. Number four and fourth and finally, set some goals and begin to dream again. You know, I'm convinced that Peter never thought he would see Jesus again. I'm convinced of that. Peter thought, you know what, I saw Jesus in the upper room, and that's probably the last time I'll ever see him. And then he went back to fishing. Jesus might go out, show up to some other people. He may have some more public ministry. I'm not sure what his plan is, but it probably doesn't involve me. And so I'm sure that Peter never expected to see Jesus ever again. He believed that he had disqualified himself for service because of this massive screw-up. And this is revealed in Peter's reaction that he never thought he'd see Jesus again because what is it that he does? He hears, it's the Lord, and he realizes, oh my goodness, yes, that is Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat, and he takes off swimming towards shore. He's so surprised, wasn't he? I can't believe Jesus is here. Not, oh yeah, I expected to see him again. No, I'd never expected to see the Lord again. And so Peter dashes off toward the shoreline can't get to Jesus fast enough. You know, I wonder how many of us think that because of mistakes we've made in our past that we've been disqualified. Perhaps we've made some mistakes, some big ones, like Peter, and we just think that whatever plans or dreams God had for us, that, well, those were just now in the past. Friends, this is a lie from the devil. What does the devil want to do? He wants to put you on the shoreline and say, go back to what you're doing. You're disgraced. You'll never be used by God again. Who wins in that scenario? The devil does. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went to the shoreline. He restored Peter back into relationship with him. He said, Peter, go feed my sheep. Go do what we've been preparing for. What made you think that I would, that you wouldn't do that? That's not who I am. I love you unconditionally, not based on your performance. I love you because you're my child. Um, perhaps Jesus has been standing on the shoreline and he's been calling to you. Hop out of the boat. Swim to shore. He's waiting on you. He's waiting to restore those dreams 
back into your mind, back into your future. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us today from your word. We thank you that you are a wonderful God whom we can serve. God, we just pray in the quietness of these moments that if some of us are feeling disqualified, disgraced, put to the sidelines, that's not the way you see us at all. And God, may we just embrace that. May we see how you want to restore, how you want to dream dreams with us again, how you, the potential that you see in each one of us. May we not listen to that lie from the devil. God, in the quietness of these moments this morning, do your healing work. Send self-condemnation running. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is your time, Lord. Speak to our hearts. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.